One Hope Church. Good morning. It's a lot of firsts for me. I don't think I've ever preached outside. I've definitely never preached with my sunglasses on. And I think this is the first time I'll be on Facebook Live, so... may also be the first time I have to deal with wind blowing my pages. Bear with me. All right, this morning we'll be in uh, John chapter 15, verse 18, and we'll go through about half of 16. Um, Let's start with some prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Um, thank you for providing us the opportunity as a church to still meet um, in some regard. And um, I thank you for technology that we're able to meet even when we're not present physically with one another. Um, thank you so much for your word, for your truth, um, that you've given it to us and that you've given us the whole picture in, in a book that we can read and study. And uh, Lord, that your, your words are everlasting and true. Um, Lord, I thank you that they're so deep that... Um, what you've given me to teach this morning, um, we could study it again next week and even find new things there. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, work in our hearts this morning, um, help us be open to your truth, to your word, um, to your correction. Um, and just pray that you would bless us and be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So brief context, uh, context for um, what we're looking at here in John. Um, so... Starting in John 13 is really where this kind of segment begins. Um, that's where the disciples and Jesus are sitting down for Jesus' last supper with them. Uh, chapter 13 is when Jesus washes their feet. Uh, this is kind of a recap of what we've already talked about. Uh, Jesus washes his disciples' feet and um, talks about the disciple who betray him. And at that time, Judas is identified and he, he leaves the meeting. Um, so we're... We're here, Jesus is talking with uh, his 11 remaining disciples. Uh, He also talks about, uh, predicts Peter's denial of him. So now that Judas is gone, um, that was chapter 14, and we're into 15 now. And now that Judas is gone, the conversation gets a little more intimate, um, and Jesus starts to make promises. Um, He promises the Holy Spirit. And then they end up leaving the dinner table or the area they're having dinner and and are presumably on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will be arrested. Um, So this conversation takes place sometime between um, when they had dinner together and before they get to the garden or it could be at the garden. So we'll be looking into 15 and 16 today. Uh, Jesus has some tough words for his disciples today. Um. But there's a lot for us to glean from them as well. And uh, though the, the words are, nece- are specifically spoken to the disciples that were present there, um, that doesn't mean there's, these words aren't for us as well. So um, I'll read the scripture and then we'll go through it kind of section by section and piece it together and draw what we can from it. So starting in John 15 verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, 
but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had do- if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, He will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what, I, what is mine and declare it to you. So let's jump in at the beginning there. Verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So, the servant is not greater than his master. He's a representative of his master. And therefore, he'll be treated as as the master would be treated. Jesus is saying that how people respond to him is how they're going to respond to his followers. If they hated him, they're going to hate his followers. And if they love him, they're going to love his followers. Now, at the beginning of John, Jesus is referred to as the light. Now, a world of darkness will naturally hate the light because the light exposes and removes the darkness. So what is unseen becomes seen. And the true filth, the true identity of sin is uncovered. Now, how hard is it to convince someone that they are sinful? It's not really that hard to convince someone that they've done bad things um, or that they sometimes and they will continue to do bad things. 
But when you take it a step further and say that that's sin, that those bad things, those wrongful things are sins against the true and living and almighty God, you know, people don't want to go that far and think about that because then they have to confront the truth. They have to confront it or they have to deny it. Um, and when you're put on the spot or not put on the spot, but when you're required to think deeper about something, um, you, you are forced to acknowledge whether it's truth or not. And people don't want to go there. Um, it's a lot easier to live in ignorance. Ignorance is often comfortable. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but it's just easy to not acknowledge something that's challenging. It's not. Um, it's easy to ignore something that might take a lot of effort to think about and, and require change. Um, and Jesus certainly requires change. Um, it's clear in Scripture, and we see it now, that people will fight with all their strength to remain in the darkness. This begs the question, um, something for us to think about here. Are, am I following Jesus openly, um, openly enough that I have enemies? Now, I want to, I want to say, and I say this every time that when I'm, when I'm saying this, this heavily applies to me um, as well. So, so. Are we following Jesus openly enough and strongly enough that we, we do have enemies? And in America, sometimes it's, it's a, an enemy may not be somebody who overtly persecutes you. Um, and if not, if I don't have enemies, why? Why don't I have enemies? Um, and if I do, do I have enemies because of Jesus or because of my behavior or some other opinion that I have or something else? Um, so it's all of these things are questions that we need to ask ourselves and examine within ourselves. Um, you know, the early church considered it, considered it an honor to be persecuted. Um, would would we feel the same if we were persecuted? And, you know, if the world doesn't necessarily hate you, do they at least see something different in you? Do they at least acknowledge that you're, you're not quite like everyone else they know? Um, you know, I don't... I don't mean to nitpick, but the small things in our lives matter. The, the small things that um, we, the small behaviors, the small, even the movies we watch, um, the words we say, um, all those things do matter. And they, they tie into how people perceive us. Um, you know, some of these little things like, do we cuss? Do we cuss around people? Do we drink too much? Do we, you know... Do we watch certain movies that we shouldn't watch or shows that we shouldn't watch? Um, you know, do we do things that are acceptable to the world but not acceptable to Jesus? Um, you know, if we're honest, and I'm certainly guilty of this, we'll, we sometimes find ourselves um, giving into cultural behavior um, just to fit in. You know, it's certainly easier... Um, it's certainly easy to use that as an excuse. And what I mean by that is, you know, one time I heard someone say um, they would go drinking downtown or and hang out with friends or whatever. But they would say, well, Jesus, Jesus used to hang, hang out with sinners. If, if he were around, he'd go to bars today and hang out with people who drank. And sure, that, that may be true. But this person was certain was definitely using that as an excuse to go hang out with friends and get, get a buzz. You know, like that's not necessarily sinful, but um, he's he's not using that as a he's using that as a pretense to go do something he wants and not really to to be a follower of jesus or to be obedient to jesus um you know what is the real reason he was going to that bar um and it was just to to have fun so 
are you using that as an excuse um, to do things that you want to do? So sometimes when someone is talking about a TV show everyone has seen, you know, these, again, these are just little examples. Sometimes when someone's talking about a show that everyone's seen, instead of like going to watch it so you can fit in, sometimes saying that, no, I haven't seen that show, I don't think I would, that would be, I would like that show, sometimes that opens up a, a unique door for you to actually share the gospel or show that your lifestyle is different. Because uh, the little things do matter. I mean, the eyes are the window to your body. Um, what you see does go into you, so be aware of that. Um, Uh, it could be an opportunity to share Jesus instead of, you know, we, we often as believers will use the excuse, oh, well, I need to build rapport with this person before I actually share Jesus with them. Like that, that is an easy excuse to, to make. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying that in certain circumstances that that is incorrect or wrong. Don't, don't get me wrong here. Uh, my point is that often it is simply easier to avoid saying something that needs to be said like the truth of the gospel, because you don't want to be disliked or ridiculed. Or or maybe, this is a lot of cases in, in my case, or maybe you're tired and you don't want to start a conversation that will take a lot of energy. Like We can make that excuse a lot. So my point is, and this is what I don't want us to miss, is don't use the desire to be liked as an excuse to be a lazy follower of Jesus. Don't use the desire to be liked as an excuse to be a lazy follower of Jesus. Remember, we're ambassadors of Christ in a foreign land. The values we display before others here are the values that unbelievers perceive to be who Jesus is. So let's make sure we examine our hearts and uh, and see, make sure we're we're identifying our motivations. Again, I'm not you know dropping a hammer here and saying all TV shows are bad. You shouldn't watch TV or things like that. And um, certainly, there are times where. Um, in the you know in the South, college football is really important. Maybe that is an opportunity for you to like learn the sport so that you can be a good, better witness to people or something like that. Um, so I'm not minimizing those things, but just make sure we're checking our hearts and checking our motivation there. Moving forward to uh, the next few verses, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So Jesus shined his light directly into the darkness of those around him. Some acknowledged, um, some acknowledged and were drawn to him, and then some rejected him. John one. 9 through 13 says this about Jesus. Jesus being the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we see throughout the Gospels where Jesus was rejected and despised, and he did not give the Pharisees the option to avoid the light. He exposed them. And this enraged them because they did not want to lose their way of life. Religion was, for them, was a tool for power and for authority, and they would hold on to that power at all costs, even at crucifying the Son of God. 
that's what Jesus is saying in verse 22. He's not saying that they were without sin entirely. He is saying that he so clearly gave them the opportunity to follow him. He so clearly presented himself as the Son of God. He so clearly presented himself as um, sent from the Father to um, as the Messiah, that they have no excuse but to believe in him, and they still chose not to. All of the things that he did, no one else has done in the history of the world. Uh, Jesus healed people of, of things that had no cure. He he cast out demons from people who were demented their whole life. He even like knew people's thoughts before they spoke them. No one else in history has done that. Jesus has done all those things and he displayed those things to prove that he was the son of God and that he sent from God. And the Pharisees still chose to ignore that and push their own agenda. Um, he completely left them with no excuse. So for us today, um, specifically right now, to those who are not yet followers of Jesus, what excuse do you continue to make to not follow Jesus? The scripture is the word and testimony of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk to, talk about shortly, through those who were with Jesus and who died for him at the beginning. If you read the gospel, especially the gospel of John, and hear the truth and believe that the Bible is a historical document, you have no excuse but to believe or directly deny Jesus, you have to choose one or the other. Again, this goes into like thinking deeply enough about a truth that's presented to you. And among the impossible things Jesus did, um, Jesus died and rose again, overcoming death and offering a permanent peace and hope to all who believe. Believe in him and uh, don't keep making excuses to not believe. Um, and to those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have no excuse to be lazy followers of Jesus. We're reading and studying examples through scripture of people who ran the distance and gave the lives, gave their lives for Jesus. Even when at, the, at, at certain times they didn't understand all of it, they still gave everything they had. We have no excuse but to give everything we have to Jesus. Romans 5, 6 through 11 says, for, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, for while... E for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Praise the Lord for that. We have every reason to give him everything. So back to the text, verse 26. Um, at this point, uh, the disciples are, I, I can imagine they're having a hard time processing everything that Jesus is talking about. And um, it, it gets better, sort of. Still, still hard to follow, but <laughs> we'll talk about it. So verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit here. He's promising the great helper. Um, 
the Spirit's going to work within the disciples to declare all that they have seen and heard. And as we see shortly, Jesus is trying to encourage them as he delivers this like grave, solemn news which is imminently approaching them and, and coming a lot sooner than they would like. Chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So, then Jesus tells them that they will be put out of the synagogues and that they'll be killed. Like he promises the helper and then tells them that, gives them some pretty rough news that they're going to be put out and then they'll be killed. And that those who are going to, who are killing them will rejoice and celebrate because they think that they're doing it for God and probably be celebrated for doing it for the Lord. Sometimes Jesus gives us information that is really tough to process and we can't always understand it at first. Um, and I'll get more into that in a minute. But I'm sure the disciples are like, at this point, they're like, wait, 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 Jesus. Okay, so we followed you from the beginning because you called us to follow you and we thought you were an awesome teacher. And through that journey, you've shown us that you're more than that. We believe that you are the Son of God, the, the Messiah, the Christ. You've done countless miracles, healing people and casting out demons and even knowing our thoughts. Like, you are supposed to lead us to victory over the Romans. You clearly have the power to do that. You're supposed to be the one to save us all from our enemies. What do you mean that we are going to die for you? What do you, what do you mean we have to die and that you're going away? And now you're promising us a helper and we don't, we don't need that. We have you. We just want you. Like you can imagine the disciples having all these emotions. You know, and they're probably thinking, if, if you are the son of God, why would you let these folks take your life? I didn't sign up for this. I, I didn't know what I was getting into. You know, aren't we supposed to be the ones who win? Looking forward through verse 4 through 7. He says, But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none, none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus tells him, look, you didn't need to know the things at the beginning because I was there to take care of you. Now I want you to know that I have a plan and you have to trust me. I know the future and I know beyond the future. And it is good for you that I go away because the helper will come and speak on my behalf. Now, up to this point, Jesus promised the disciples three things, that they would be hated, that they'd be persecuted, and that they'd be killed. Exciting. You wonder who, who they were more sorrowful for at this point, whether about Jesus leaving them or about the prediction of their death and persecution. But Jesus also promises them the Holy Spirit, which they don't understand. And we get the benefit of being able to look back and get the bigger picture. And we know through scripture, the Holy Spirit is awesome. And if you, we want to know more about that and how the Spirit works, you know, just read the beginning of Acts. Read Acts and you'll see how the Spirit works very overtly for the early church. It's awesome. So 8, 11, and 12. 
So if we keep going here, Jesus talks about the helper. He says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you'll see me no longer in judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So Jesus is assuring the disciples that though it feels like we are losing, we're actually going to win. You just have to be patient. There's going to be suffering first. Because when the helper comes, he will declare the truth and conviction of the sin. The the helper will come and convict those um, in the darkness of sin. The position and the authority of Jesus and the judgment of the greatest enemy. Notice in verse 11, uh, Jesus uses the past tense. He says, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Not the ruler of the world is going to be judged, or I will judge the ruler of this world. No, he is judged. Jesus speaks as if it's been done already. Um, Our hope is in the great victory. Our our hope in the great victory is assured, folks. Like, it it is going to happen. It is 100% going to happen. There will be great rejoicing in the end, and the followers of Jesus, all followers of Jesus, will get to partake in that rejoicing. The enemy and the cause of all the darkness that we see in the world, even today, has already been judged. His sentence, he has been given his sentence. And he's just waiting to receive that full execution of that sentence. So in this time of frustration and despair, we should look forward to the realization of the hope that we have in Jesus. You know, talking about this section, Jesus only reveals to the disciples a part of what's going to happen. And he only does that in segments as he's with them. Jesus does that with us too. Jesus only reveals to us what we need to know wherever we are. He doesn't reveal anything more to us. You know, this this fosters faith and trust in him, but it also is is a blessing on us because if the Lord were to reveal everything, like all of our sin to us all at one time, yeah, that that would not be cool. That that would be crushing. You know, if the Lord were to reveal to us our entire future and say, Hey, this is this is step by step what your life is gonna look like, you know, that might not look like what I want it to look like, so I may not follow that. So we, we need to trust him that his plan is better than ours. Um, you know, if we look at all the information he was giving the disciples, if he had told them at the very beginning of his ministry, if he had told them this, like the moment he said, told them, come follow me and you'll be fishers of men, like, do you think they would have followed him? Not saying that he was trying to be deceiving. What I'm saying is that Jesus gives us the information we need at the time that we need it. And he doesn't give us more than that. And that is, that is good because the best thing for the disciples to do is to follow Jesus and is to be persecuted and is to die for his name. That is the best thing for them. And so they may not have followed the best path for them had they known that path beforehand at the very beginning. So Jesus reveals to us what we need to know at the right time. You know, they wouldn't have gotten to experience any of the the incredible miracles Jesus did either. So, 
They didn't have the complete picture yet. And Jesus was giving them all they could handle piece by piece. And he does that with us. And soon they would be the ones putting the complete picture together for the rest of the world and the future world. You know, praise God that he's patient with us and only reveals to us what we can handle. If the Lord were to reveal all, the, all of our shortcomings to us, the moment you believed in him, you just, you just, wow, that would be really challenging. So he's patient with us um, and with the things that he shows us and gives them to us at the perfect times. I'm sure if you've been a believer for even a short time, you can realize how much better this way is than just dumping everything on you at once. You know, when you go to school or go take a class or even, you know, teachers um, teach a class, you don't just come into the the class the first day and, like, give everything to the students that's going to be on the final test. That is not the learning process or the growing process. The teachers, you, you go in and you start at the ground level with the foundation and you build them up a little bit by little until you lead the class, the students to the final final information, and you put it all together at the end. And you know, Jesus is the great teacher. He is the perfect teacher. So his way, his method is the best. And I can confidently say um, that he is the greatest teacher because no one knows their students better than he knows us. So the last section here, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Again, that's kind of referencing what we just talked about. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You know, this is really powerful, powerful section of scripture declaring the, the Trinitarian idea, the, the idea that of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and here Jesus describes the Spirit a little more. He says, this, uh, like I said, this is probably one of the best sections in scripture to help us understand the relationship of the Trinity. Um, all the authority is the Father's, and the Father has given that authority to the Son to enact on earth, and the Spirit will declare that authority to the world. Now, just a, a quick look at verse 14 here, where he says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Um, a really good test to see if someone is a follower of Jesus and has the Spirit in them is how they talk about Jesus. The Spirit, if they have the Spirit in them, will glorify Jesus, will will lift Jesus up to the greatest heights. If they say that Jesus is anyone other than the Messiah, the Holy Son of God, then they are not filled with the Spirit. That's a good test to see if someone is preaching the truth or not. Um, Because it says right here, the Spirit testifies on behalf of Jesus. The Spirit testifies to who Jesus is. And the the Spirit declares who He is. And he is our great king. So in conclusion today, as we as we close up, um, we studied some really tough words today from Jesus this morning. Um, and he doesn't always, you know, Jesus doesn't always tell us to do something that we want to do. I'm sure none of the disciples here wanted to hear that they were going to be persecuted and that they were going to die. I mean, I wouldn't want to hear that. I, I know none of you would either. But 
like I said, Jesus doesn't always call us into things that are easy or call us into comfort or call us into, um, as the world would deem success. Um, but following him is still a far greater experience than anything else you can ever know. He takes us on an adventure of incredible personal growth. He gives us an assured hope and peace. And boy, we need that now and brings light to a dark and hopeless world. One day, we'll get to spend eternity in his presence. And none of this, all the enemies of darkness, they, they'll be gone. And, you know, I just, as we go through what we're going through in the world today, um, as we see things like COVID and um, all the division we see today, and the global changes that are taking place, you know, we need, we need Jesus. He is the solution. He is the answer. You know, you can have all kinds of different political opinions. You can have all kinds of different theories. Um, you can have all kinds of differences among us. But the, the unifying factor and the truth is, is that Jesus is the solution to, to the enemy. He's the solution to sin. He takes away sin. You know, Jesus is here. And, and all these things that are going on right now, they weren't a surprise to God. Like, God knew all these things were going on. So I just want to encourage us this, this morning to, to take heart and not be discouraged by all the things that are going on. Um, all of the, the trials and struggles that we're facing. Um, you know, be encouraged because they're not, they were not unforeseen by God. God knows they're, they're And so let's lean into him. Let's follow Jesus. Let's seek him. And let's not take this opportunity of social distancing and even not meeting together um, in a building as, as a church. And on Wednesday nights, like, don't, don't make, take the opportunity of this time to become a lazy follower of Jesus. Like, there is still work to be done and there is still work you can do. So um, as we worship him this morning and as we close out, um, and sing some, a few more songs. And if you brought it, the, uh, take the bread and the cup this morning. Let's worship Jesus for who he is, the great king, the great teacher, um, the great savior who, who died on the cross and rose again, who gives us, who assures our hope that we're not stuck in a life that's full of darkness, that one day followers of Jesus will get to spend eternity in a place where there's no evil that is a reality that is going to happen. That's not like this theory or hope that is kind of like a little hope. That is an assured, definite thing. The enemy has been judged. The enemy's sentence will be carried out. And we will be with Jesus and there will be no more pain or suffering or darkness. So let's worship Jesus for that this morning, knowing that he's welcomed us into that with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross for us. Heavenly Father, uh, you are awesome and great. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. I pray that those who don't know you would, would hear your truth and seek you and find their hope and joy in you because you are the only place that that is real. And I pray that you would help us to go from here this week and um, not be lazy followers. That you would help us to encourage us, give us strength, 
um, and help us fight through whatever distractions are there, um, whatever sin is in our hearts or in our lives. Help us to get through that um, by your grace and your mercy. Only you can do so with your power. In Jesus' name, amen.